Well, hey, Northgate, so good to be with you today. I want to start off by observing Memorial Day. Thank you. Thank you on behalf of this faith community for all of those who know someone who has made the ultimate sacrifice. And to those of you who have served, thank you as well. We are in week three of a four-week conversation on one small piece of scripture found in the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament of the Bible. This is a snippet of a sermon Jesus gave, a famous one actually called the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been calling this series, Disrupting Chaos. See, Jesus has shown up on the scene and it's a chaotic one, much like we often can find ourselves in. Jesus gives a message to this group of people and I believe strongly that there's a great message from him here today. See, chaos is like pain. It has the potential to drive us towards self-centeredness. In uncertain or chaotic times, I start to worry about just me. I become consumed with today and my needs and my wants. We begin to think in terms of survival and protecting what we have. Then worry and anxiety start to flare up. Maybe it's just me, but have you ever noticed that when you finally take time to pray in these seasons, our prayers sound like a shopping list? Provide this, bless that. Give me this. Make sure such and such happens on my behalf. The problem is, is that we become so focused on our needs or our desires and our particular situations that we actually lose sight of the big picture, what life is really all about. We miss the fact that God might be up to something and he may actually want us to be a part of it. Chaos backs us into this corner of self-centeredness and unhealthy preoccupation with self. When Jesus showed up on the scene, he was surrounded by peoples whose felt needs were so pronounced that they couldn't get past them. They were being taxed by an unjust government with no means of reform or protest. They were being led by hypocritical religious leaders that had sold out to Rome. They had their land and their wealth stolen from them, and there was no justice. Their children were being confused with this infusion of Roman and Greek values. They were poor. They were really poor. They felt abandoned by God. No Messiah, no promise kept. Where are you? It's been such this long time since we've heard from God. And Jesus came to put the chaos of that day in proper perspective. And also we see in Matthew 6, 25, he has the audacity to say this to a very needy group of people and to us. It starts out in verse 25. Don't worry about your needs. A little context to this passage. He has just finished encouraging them to approach life from an eternal perspective, and he focused on their money. He knew that if he could get them to think eternally about their money, everything else would follow. For this reason, since we are going to think eternally as well. Worry. How do we think about that? It's to be anxious or fear of the future or the unknown. He's saying, don't let things consume your thoughts and your emotions. He's not calling us to irresponsibility, but immediately he sets up two categories of need that we're not to be anxious about. The first is this, critical needs. Your life, like things pertaining to your survival, like eating or drinking. Some of us are worried at the survival level, economically and physically. Will we be able to make ends meet? Will I be able to put food on the table? Will I be able to pay rent? Will I be able to find a job? Will I be able to keep my job? 
Then there's the non-critical needs like your body, things pertaining specifically to appearance. What will I wear when I can't wear jammies or yoga pants every day? Or when can I get a haircut? I need my roots dyed. Some of us are worried at the advancement and promotion level right now. We're concerned about reputation or acquisition, a move ahead, raises or new cars. Will I be recognized? Will I get married? Will I get pregnant? Will I get to go to my first choice of colleges? Will I get to go to college? Will I make the sale? Will I get the deal? Will I ever own a home? Will I ever find a dress for that event? Then he asked this penetrating question, literally. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? The NLV even adds important than more than. What is life all about? And whatever it is, shouldn't that be the focus of our concern? Is life simply about surviving and looking for good in the process? Or is there something more? If someone were to follow you and I around for a week and listen to all of our conversations and have access to our checkbooks and our visa statement, would they conclude that life for you and I is simply just surviving and trying to look good in the process? Is that where our time and energy and our focus are? And consequently, do those two categories of things consume your worry and time? Do they consume your thoughts? While you're thinking about that, he offers a little perspective on our needs. He gives us two illustrations to put our critical and non-critical needs in proper perspective. The birds of the air. This would be our critical needs. They have all their critical needs met without worrying a bit. I don't know if you've ever seen a bird worry unless you're getting too close to its nest. Our Heavenly Father feeds them. Not merely just nature or instinct, but God actually established the food cycle, migration patterns, and everything that the birds of the air need. Aren't you more important? He says, He's your Heavenly Father. He is merely their creator. You don't need to worry. Has worrying ever contributed to anyone's survival? Has worrying ever solved the problem or brought peace to chaos, to your chaos? Has worrying ever made things worse? <laughs> All the time. Providing food is like no problem for God. God is an expert, so we need to quit worrying. He is not advocating this irresponsible living, just a stress-free living that is you do what you know to do and trust God to fill in the gaps. Then you have the lilies of the field, non-critical needs. This example is an emphasis not on survival, but actually appearance, what it looks like. With no effort at all, lilies look great. They're beautiful. Have you ever seen flowers and the colors that didn't work together? No, right? We're commanded to observe. So I say, go out and observe your garden or look out into the flowers of the field. God's an expert in fashion design. He's an expert at making things look good. He doesn't need any help and suggestions. The lily did nothing. We don't serve a vanilla God. He's not conservative. And to fear that God is going to make your life boring is to demonstrate limited knowledge of God. You need a good dose of the Discovery Channel or you need to go and visit a butterfly exhibit. Then cruise your favorite clothing store when you can. Tell me who is into color and variety. The point is this. If God gave this much attention to detail on a plant that is going to die in some short days and time from now, 
Why do we need to worry about it? You and I have no business worrying, getting stressed out over stuff like a dress, the right tie, the car, a haircut, image stuff. You do the best you can and leave it at that. Your Heavenly Father is willing and able to go beyond what is basic. He knows how to be extravagant, really extravagant. Then it continues with this idea of, oh, you of little faith. The problem is, is it's saying, hey, we just don't trust him. We don't think he's interested. We think he has overlooked us. During chaos, we think that he's lost power or interest or something. Then he repeats this command in verse 31. So don't worry saying, what shall I eat or what shall I drink or what shall I wear? If we serve a God who can be trusted and has proven it, then we have no business worrying about all of that. It doesn't even make sense. Then he chooses a different word to drive the point home here. He equates worry with seeking. What we're anxious about becomes the object of our attention and our affection. To worry about something is really evidence that you're seeking it. Don't spend all of your time seeking those things, he's saying. That's, that's what people do who don't trust God to do what he says he's going to do. It also has language like run after or eagerly seek or frantically seek. For them, the pagans, this is what life is all about. And who can blame them? Chaos, though, provides this opportunity for believers to shine. Whether it is this personal uncertainty and chaos or national. Everybody knows how you should respond in these types of situations. This is what we talked about last week. You have the opportunity to live in scarcity or you can listen to the great French fry illustration and figure out how to live in abundance that God is good. Besides, your Heavenly Father knows you need these things. And we have seen He has the power to provide them. How would you live if you heard God say, I know you need that, just trust me. Now for me, I know I say that to my kids all the time because they're like, Daddy, what about this? Or like, hey, oh my goodness, don't forget about this, do this, do this. And you're like, don't worry, trust me, I got you. That's how believers are to live in chaos. And so week one, we talked about how worry is produced by holding on to responsibility rather than handing it to God to trust Him with the responsibility. And last week, we said you can either live with the story of scarcity or abundance and trust that God is a good God and he wants to provide you with all of the things you need. Now this all builds to Matthew 6:33. This is where we pivot. It says, "But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well." Now this is when he answers the question posed in verse 25. What is life all about? What are the concerns that we should be concerned with ourselves? Well, we are to concern ourselves with the furtherance of the kingdom of God and the righteous standard of God. This is the same Greek root word here, seek in verse 32, except there is a prefix denoting a sense of panic. Seek doesn't mean to look for, it means to concern yourself with or to focus on. Then there's these two big words here, kingdom and righteousness. For kingdom, this would equal the values and the agenda of the kingdom, to focus on what God is up to. What is that, you might ask? Well, it has always been and it will always be of finding those outside of the kingdom and making them kingdom people, a life lived under the care of God. 
Let me explain for just a moment on this. Uh, A kingdom is a place where someone has rule, the king. And the kingdom is all of the places under that rule where it extends to. And so you, you have a kingdom. This is where you do what you want and you have happen what you want to happen and you're in control. A kingdom is about a realm of authority. And in order for there to be a kingdom, there has to be a king. And in order to live in that kingdom, you have to place yourself under the authority of the king. And so when you place yourself under the authority of the king, in order to live in their kingdom, what you're doing is you are saying that this king is worthy to be lived under. This king is good and right and just. But living in this kingdom isn't just about his reign and his authority. It's also about his care and his provision. When we talk about the kingdom of God, one of the things that we're talking about is trusting the life lived under the care of God. Now this word righteousness, this would be a standard of morality, a divine code of ethics that affects all relationships, family, like our homes and community, where we do life with others, and even nationally where we get to connect doing life with others in other places. This is what we're to seek first, the kingdom and his righteousness. Whereas in times of chaos, the tendency is to abandon our values and character and do whatever it takes to survive. And he says, no, seek his righteousness even more. It's easy to be good when good serves a purpose. Everybody does that. It's difficult when it doesn't. That's when righteousness shines like a light. When we live in a stage of chaos where we're just caring for ourselves, we'll start to just feel like nothing's ever enough. Never good enough, parents. Marriage isn't good enough. The bank isn't enough. Not smart enough. Not good looking enough. Good friend enough. House isn't big enough. Birthday party isn't good enough. My jeans aren't skinny enough. Look at the promise here in the second half of this verse. All of those other things God will take care of. We know he can. Look at nature. We know he will. Look at the past. Jesus says, You look after my deal, and I'll look after yours. Don't go through life stressed out over stuff that I've already taken responsibility for anyways. Besides, where do you think it all came from in the first place? The talent, the opportunities, the breaks, the education, chance encounters. Was that you? He says, don't worry about your ability to sustain my blessings. Seek my kingdom, and I'll look after yours. And the whole time, God is asking, is there anybody down there that's concerned about my kingdom and my righteousness? Is anybody worried about disconnected people? Is there anybody worried about the next generation of teenagers? Is anybody worried about the children who have never heard? Is anybody worried about the people in other nations who still haven't heard this news? Is anybody going to talk to your boss? Is anybody going to talk to your neighbor, your friend? We sit there and say, no. I'm worried about my job, my economy, my retirement, and school for my kids. As we wrap this up, can I let you in on a little secret? The people who are most aware of God's intervention in their lives are the ones whose agendas are closest to his. The people who have made the swap 
live with this uncanny sense of God's presence. They are all in and understanding of what God is up to. And we say, God, where are you? And he says, I'm where I've always been. Where are you? Chaos, friends, is not evidence of God's inactivity or a change of agenda. We cannot afford to be inactive or change agendas either. The chaos we are facing has created enormous ministry opportunities. We cannot afford to miss them, especially by getting caught up in our own deal out of fear. Here's the promise. Concern yourself with what concerns me, and all of these things shall be added to you. You take care of my deal, and I'll take care of yours. So what do we do? Do we continue to live in this chaotic, stressed place where we're just worried about our own kingdom and our head is down and we can't actually see what's going on around us because we're just overwhelmed by worry and anxiety? What this is truly calling us to right now is to take care of God's deal. To say, you've got this, I'm going to offload this on you so I can lift my eyes up and I can look around and say, I have friends, I have family, I have other people who need peace right now in their worry and their anxiety. I have other people who don't have joy right now, who need to understand what gentleness looks like, who need to understand what peace, true peace looks like right now. And if, and if we don't get our eyes off of ourselves, if we can't lift our eyes up to see those who are right around us, we're missing it. So what do we do? Start your day off with this prayer that we've been reciting for the last 14 days. Get up tomorrow morning and make this trade just for a day. Say this, today, when I begin worrying about me, I'm gonna offload this on you, God, and look for ways to further your kingdom. I'm not gonna allow chaos to take a toll on my character. Friends, let's respond and worship with God's blessing to his people. I love this song that we're about to sing. To me, this is a song that speaks to disrupting chaos. It says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and may be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May his favor then be upon you in a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children and their children. May his presence go before you and behind you beside you, all around you, and within you. He is with you in the morning, in the evening, in your coming, and your going, in your weeping and rejoicing. He is for you. We're going to sing that song in just a moment, but some of you may be here with us today and you're listening and you're listening to this and you're thinking, I'm just running. I'm running with no purpose. I'm tired of the chaos. I'm tired of trying to be my own king and my own provider. What if, just like this song says, God is with you and he is for you. Would you believe it? Well, he is. Our theology here about God is simple. We believe that there is nothing so dead that God cannot resurrect and make new again. That there's nothing so lost that God can't find it. And there's nothing so dark that he can't bring into the light. And there's nothing so broken that he cannot do a mending work on this side of eternity. And so if you find yourself there today, if you find yourself in this place of curiosity to be like, it's time to let someone else take care of my deal. 
because I just can't seem to take care of it. It's so overwhelming. I am completely overwhelmed and it's just not worth it. God's right here and he's ready saying like, hey, give me your deal. I want your deal. But then be about my deal and give others the same blessing. So if you're ready to take that first step of faith today, I want to encourage you um, to just take a next step. And that next step is really simple. We would love to give you a journal. It's a 21-day journal that just talks about who God is and just starts to unpack what this would look like, giving these things up to Him and how you get to live a life with Him under His care and provision in His kingdom. It's called This Changes Everything. Because when you do that, when you make that decision, it changes everything. doesn't mean everything's going to be rainbows and butterflies all the time. We're still in the midst of chaos, but we're learning how a God who's changed everything is still going to be our provider, our hope, our joy, and our peace, because he's a good father. You can text the letters TCE1 to 94000. That's TCE1 to 94000. And we would love to mail this to you. We would also love to have a follow-up conversation with you in the future about this next step in your life. Even if you're just discovering what this looks like or interested in starting this journey, 